you have to kind of figure out for yourself, what is your motivation? What is the vision that you see for yourself? And I always ask this question. If I was to create a magic, like literally I was a genie and I created magic for you right now, what would you do? Welcome back to the Mindset Mastery Podcast. Today, I am joined by board-certified wellness coach, fellow podcaster, stage three cancer survivor, and founder of The Human Resolve, Salvio Clement. Salvio helps cancer survivors overcome the confusion and gain the clarity that's needed to get busy living in mind, body, and spirit. He helps people to find their why and to cultivate resilience in their mindset. In this episode, we'll look at feeding our three brains the head, heart, and gut, and how to have all three working in synergy. We're going to talk about being present, getting out of our own head, and moving beyond autopilot to take charge of our healing. Sabio, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you? Thank you so much, Rachel. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm doing okay. It's around around 11 p.m. at night, but I don't end my brain until about midnight, so we're all good. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for taking the time. We're in different time zones here. It's always interesting talking to people on different sides of the world. Absolutely. So I'd love to hear your story and hear about your own journey to recovery and the approach that you took to that with your mindset. And yeah, just just talk me through that. Sure. So my story starts, my cancer story that is starts in 2014. I sort of noticed just a couple of changes that were happening in and around me from like just night sweats to just a bit of lethargy and then just a distended stomach that kept growing and growing prior to, to being diagnosed, you know, sort of diagnosed officially that I was, you know, a, a cancer, you know, person, a person with cancer. I um, rarely went to the doctor. I pretty much worked out all the time. I ate organic food. Uh, I saw a naturopath every year who did blood analyzation and told me what vitamins to take. But even he said something is definitely wrong here. And it was about two to three weeks. He told me I should really go see a doctor and get, get something done. And so I ended up getting a scan done. And they wouldn't let me leave the scanning office for like a couple of hours. And I didn't understand why. And then they wanted me to call one of my relatives to come pick me up. I'm like, but I have a car here. And they just basically said to me, you really should go to like the doctors, like ASAP, go go right now to like the nearest hospital, like ASAP. I'm like, what? So we went there and then the doctor looked at me for a couple of minutes. And then basically I got admitted the same day within like an hour of seeing the doctor. About two days later, I was told I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. They did a bone marrow aspiration. Fortunately, it did not go into the brain, but I was bedridden for about a week uh, in the hospital and they had to distend about seven liters of fluid from my abdomen. And then the second week, three days before I left, so I was in the hospital for a total of two weeks, I had to, well, not had to, but I was told that I should get chemo. I should start chemo. And I really had to search within because I had a couple of friends, like I mentioned, who said to me, you sure you want to put those poisons? They're basically toxins and poison. They're literally going to ravage and kill anything and everything. And I had to sit quietly with myself, Rachel. And I had to say to myself, there's a Savio that's in this hospital who's really, really sick. And there's a greater essence or being, whatever your belief system is, that's much bigger than that. And I said to myself, I need to find the middle ground. What's that middle place that will allow me to feel like I'm doing best, the best of both worlds. 
So I ended up doing that. I got my first um, round of chemo about three days before I left. And then I did five other successive rounds. And in between that, I did integrative modalities, things that I felt comfortable. And I really felt like they actually helped from any type of side effects or any type of negative occurrences. And I was actually told, so I was diagnosed in July, 2014. And I remember five days before Christmas, December of 2014, I was told I was in remission and I'm currently seven years in remission. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So after that journey, where did that lead your life then? Were you doing more or less the same things or was that kind of a transformation for you? Yeah, you know, it's really funny. Like I, I've been a curious person um, by nature since I was a little boy. I've had the good fortune of traveling to about seven different continents throughout the world. I've always been someone who's an avid reader and just explorer. And I studied comparative belief systems. I grew up Catholic, but I'm kind of more spirituality sort of focused or based. And I've really felt like that was a test for me, cancer. It was, are you going to falter or are you going to actually use the principles that you've said that you sort of practice and preach? I was a longtime meditator till this day. I think I've been meditating daily for about two decades, 20 years. So it's a really long time. And so it's funny because I was in IT. And I said to myself that if I hit that five-year remission mark, there's no guarantee because you're never officially cured if you have cancer, you're just in remission, that I would do something with it. And I had the courage to make the transition. And now I'm a board-certified wellness coach who basically, you know, I, you know, I help and I coach cancer survivors on that journey because a lot of people think that once you survive cancer, that everything is hunky-dory. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. There's a whole host of stuff that happens to you from mindset wise to emotional that really just takes a lot. And you have to have someone who knows what they're talking about and are skilled enough and have gone through the journey to some degree to understand how to help that person. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of those things that you work with other cancer survivors with? And yeah, just talk me through some of those things and what it was for you and how you help other people now. Yeah. So the, you know, the big one, obviously is the chance of recurrence. It's always in the back of your mind. Even if you get a cold, you think, oh my God, is it coming back? And you, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but of the cancer survivors that I do coach, a lot of it is sort of freaking out. Like you feel good, but you don't know what your scan is going to say. So you have this whole week of thinking, I got to see the oncologist. I got to see my hematologist. They're going to look at my scans. I feel fine, but I don't know. It could be something off. It could be. And all these things run into your head. So that's number one. Uh, number two is really side effects. There's a lot of stuff that happens to you. People don't talk about oral health. It's a huge thing. It affects your teeth. I was told not to do any dental work for about two years. And you know, I know a lot of people who lost their teeth. And so uh, bit by bit, some people obviously have the indelible scars that are left physically on their body, but also have the emotional scars. And the emotional scars are the mindset of thinking, why am I here and my friends are gone? Why, you know, what can I do with the fact that I'm still here? And the big one, Rachel, the huge one is I don't want to F this up a second time. I was given a second chance and I don't want to mess it up. And that's things that even when it's, it's sort of triggering for me as a coach, of course, I'm in a different sort of mentality or zone when I'm coaching, but those are things that I myself have wrestled with and still do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a massive one. So for you, what is your, your goals now? Like you say, you get the second chance. So what are you hoping to achieve now? And how's that changed probably since before you had this experience? 
Yeah, you know, I just really feel like I want to take my experiences and sort of help others or sort of guide others to that process. I mean, there's a difference between coaching and therapy. Therapy is really about going through trauma and, you know, to some degree, you know, your past. Uh, and coaching is really about sort of where you are now and where you want to sort of see yourself or, or the vision you you kind of imagine for yourself. And I really sort of like that transformational process of taking a client uh, on that journey. I always tell people, I will never be an expert on you. You will always be an expert on yourself, but I'm someone who's kind of been there and kind of understand. And I have the training to back up, you know, some of these, and these are coming from sound research. So it's really about, as I help another cancer survivor, I always feel so much more empowered that I can do this for other people. So you know, I, I, right now, I, I recently launched the last three weeks, a syndicated column. The first one is I survived cancer and here's how I did it. I got an overwhelming response over 120 interviews. My second one was speaking to doctors and oncologists on the five things you need to know about cancer. And the one I just launched yesterday is rising in resilience, five things you need to know about resilience in your life. That's fantastic. So I want to unpack a few different things here. I want to start with what I mentioned in the intro about feeding our three different brains. So we've got our head brain, our heart, and our gut. So can you talk me through how that all works together and what you have to do to feed each of those things? Right. Yeah. So when, when you know, <laughs> I was sort of studying sort of the, the realm of what this is called is, is embodiment. And really, it's about the fact that the body itself has, has messages and speaks to us. And they often say, to some degree, that we hold trauma in our bodies. Like, we might emotionally think that we're over it. We might mentally think we're over it. But our bodies tell us something different. And usually, you know, from the sound research that I've sort of, you know, trainings I've been through and all the sort of work I've done, it's the head, heart, and gut. And the head is, of course, our rational brain, right? The the brain that sort of allows us to think and make decisions. But the heart has a more stronger or more powerful consciousness to it. It has an actual presence. It has a, a voice to some degree. And, and when I mean voice, I don't mean like literally you're hearing voices, but more of symbols, images, feelings, sensations. And then the gut, which most people don't think about is really, you know, sort of the courage area. It's like, what are we not what conversations are we not having that we should? What should we be doing that we shouldn't? And so I go through all this on myself. I, I basically create these prompts weekly and I have a newsletter. Um, you can go to my website and basically I answer the prompts using the three brains. What's happening in my body? I actually take a deep breath. I'm really quiet. Sometimes nothing happens. Sometimes I get like an image and I get a word, but I pose a question. So if you don't pose a question, you can never get any type of resolve or any type of answer from it. Uh, and I find that most people are resonating to my newsletter because I myself am, am sort of doing that, which I'm asking them to do. Uh, and they feel more empowered to do that for themselves. So it's really quieting the mind and allowing yourself to feel a sense um, as to kind of like what's going on there. Yeah, that's great. I think that kind of leads into the next thing I wanted to talk about, the idea of, you know, quieting the mind and stop living up here in our head. And especially if you're going through any kind of stressful experience or change, it can be really easy just to get stuck up in your head and thinking over all the possible scenarios. So how do you bring that back down and bring that back to a place of just being present and coping with that every day? I've learned a great visualization technique that was sort of taught to me in my trainings. It's sort of imagining visually, sort of visualizing an elevator. 
And so obviously the elevator's on top, it's, it's your head. And then you count down from three to one or from five to one and try to bring it down to the belly. Try to see kind of where it stops or where it stalls and literally try to visualize an elevator from the top of your head to the belly and see what's happening in your belly once you do that. And literally for most, there's a transformation that sort of happens. They end up becoming more sensitive or they end up becoming more clear headed. In, in terms of not fig, not thinking that they're on a hamster wheel where thoughts are running through their head, but they're more kind of disseminating the information or filtering the information. So that's a really a cool technique that works for a lot of people. And, and I've sort of coined sort of this idea of, you know, sort of like the pregnant pause, you know, when women are pregnant, they hold their bellies. And if you do that in public, people think you're kind of strange, but if you do it to yourself in your home or whatever, you basically hold your belly. You literally touch your fingertips to your belly. It's like, I call it a pregnant pause. And basically you take that pause with that particular question or that problem or that situation or that, and usually that sort of creates some momentum too. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So an interesting talking point that caught my eye when I was doing a bit of your reading was the idea of treating your body as a stranger to get greater success. Can you break that down, what that means and how that can actually work for someone? Yeah. So, you know, it's really funny. So I, I do this embodiment work and, you know, with coaching, it doesn't always happen. Some people are just not sensing and feeling in that sense. And that's totally fine. But I was someone who lived in my head for most of my life. And so I often tell people, I know where you're coming from because I, when exploring embodiment and, you know, gestalt therapy, there's all these sort of words to it, you know, soma and, you know, you know, somatics. I treat the body as a stranger because I'm not thinking to myself, I know what it's going to do or I know what it's, what's, what I'm going to feel. I'm more looking at it like, like the, you know, anthropologist Margaret Mead would, she would go into these different areas and she would just observe and, and record. She wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't judge. She would just do that. And so it's just something that for myself made a lot of sense. And so I say that a lot of people are piqued by that. It's when that happens, don't assume, just observe and record and see if there's any further information that will come the next day, or it might be a, a couple of weeks from now and just sort of be more objective about it and not so sort of fixed, you know, fixated in general with your problem and your sort of thoughts or your, or your feelings on what you think the answer should be. Just live in the unknown for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think that could also be something that can feel a bit scary to do. Like we don't like the unknown <laughs> as human beings. So I suppose just allowing yourself to actually do that could be a totally new experience for someone. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, I mean, everything happened. Like when I started meditating, I wasn't doing 20 minutes daily. I started off with like two minutes. It was hard. That was like years and years and years ago. And then I built myself up to 20 minutes. Everything obviously takes practice, but it's also, and I say this for myself as well. It's also trying to get to know you, like, who are you beyond your profession, beyond your relationship, beyond who are you? And I think it really starts from trying to figure out what human form you're in and, and kind of what's happening within that human form. And for me, it's constant discovery. So when I coach, I really love it because I'm feel like I'm, I'm getting more interested or more feedback or more viewpoints into the human experience. Yeah, that's fantastic. So also working with your clients, how 
do you help people to find their why? Well, the master of the why is Simon Sinek. <laughs> so I'm taking sort of a lot of cues from him. It's, it's really about sort of figuring out kind of what motivates you. Like beyond your cultural background, beyond what you've been told you should or shouldn't be doing, beyond the praise that you get or behind, you know, beyond some of the scolding that you get or, or, or some of the sort of figuring out for yourself, what is it that's really not making me happy? Because I, I think happiness is kind of fleeting sometimes and it comes and goes, but what gets you excited to wake up in the morning? Like, you know, there's um, a great movie, Sister Act 2, and, you know, where Whoopi Goldberg mentions to one of the, she's like, you know, why are you telling me what you should be doing? If you wake up in the morning and you first thing you think of is singing, you should be a singer. So it's more of that. And then from that, trying to figure out how you can actually make that into something. Because I know a lot of people who just love to travel like all the time. But with traveling comes the expense of traveling, the environments that you're in, the, you know, all the traveling itself, the actual physicality of traveling. And so you have to kind of figure out for yourself, what is your motivation? What is the vision that you see for yourself? And if, if I, I always ask this question, if I was to create a magic, like literally I was a genie and I created a like magic for you right now, what would you do? And some of them like just are speechless. Like, what do you mean? And I'm like, literally I'm creating a new reality for you. What would that be? And the ones who are very clear are extremely clear on it. It's just, they have these other things that are sort of nagging at them that they can't sort of see. So I would always tell people, have those, have those questions answered for yourself and then figure out how feasible they are. Yeah, oh, that's perfect advice. I love the genie analogy as well. I think it kind of forces you to think a little bit bigger than you might ordinarily because, you know, three wishes granting our wildest dreams. It's like, what did that actually be? If you have anything yeah. that you want. <laughs> I mean, I, I was actually challenged on asking that question with someone. So in my podcast, I had a individual who's still battling cancer and he basically cancer took one of his legs. Cancer has taken one of his arms. And I said to him, what if I created that miracle for you? And he literally froze on me. He did not even, he said, I've been battling this for like 13 years of my life. I can't even he, he couldn't even answer it. He didn't even know how to articulate that. So, you know, I always tell people just be grateful for where you are because there's other stories and people and situations that are having a lot of, you know, rougher. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, be grateful for everything that you have. Another question is for you, how would you define resiliency and then building resiliency in your mindset when it feels like you know it's all too much and yeah for you what I guess what's the definition of having resilience and how do you build that you know I mean, there's many definitions of resilience but for me I really liken it to some degree courage a backbone sort of having the ability you know the official definition is sort of this bounce back mentality right or this bounce back sort of sort of feeling or sensation. And for me, resiliency is really figuring out, do I have the power to actually make whatever I want happen? Do I have the power to actually create that new reality for myself? Do I actually have the faith and the belief that I, that I, I can do that? So for me, it digs a little deeper than just sort of that base level sort of definition of it. I, I can only speak to my situation and my cancer sort of journey. Um, 
I just promised myself as long as I did whatever I could. And I felt as long as I did both extremes, you know, the, you know, the, you know, straight line medical and then the holistic. And as long as I sort of gave it hundred percent and literally Rachel, I focused on it. Like it was my job. Like I was like a laser beam focused. And for me, I think I was able to cultivate resilience generally it's because I had this idea in my head and this feeling in my heart that I knew I could find a way out of this. And I'm not saying that, you know, to make light of situations, I understand people have different types of cancers, different types of situations. Mine was stage three. And so I, I was pretty, you know, it was, I was told by the medical director, it was pretty serious. I would have to say you have to sort of separate self from the person who's sick. That's in the medical sense. In resiliency, just generally, I think you need to separate your wants from your needs and figure out which, you know, which is sort of, you know, calling to you more. Yeah, I love that answer. That's great. So tell me about your business, The Human Resolve, what it's all about and what you're wanting to bring to the world with that. Yeah. So my business that's called The Human Resolve. I, you know, like even on my podcast, I get a lot of experts and I make my format the way I do, which is basically I give everyone a 30 minute wellness coaching session and then I go into their expertise or whatever they want to promote. And it's because I want to focus on you being human and what that actually means beyond your title, beyond everything else. And so for me, my coaching is really sort of using the body as a resource, using what's sort of happening within the body. And then obviously using, you know, you know, what I call the seven energy systems, people call it chakras, using sort of that as a guidepost. Like I mentioned, the client always sort of decides where that conversation goes and I'm there to just follow and just sort of guide that process and create that container. But I really want to create sort of an awareness. I mean, I got some really amazing uh, feedback and engagement from my uh, syndicated column series. It's on both Authority Magazine and it's been syndicated on Thrive Global. And I recently just interviewed uh, Venus Williams for her new beverage, wellness beverage uh, product. So that's really cool. I'm going to Mexico next week um, to interview someone else. So I'm really excited. And so for me, it's really coaching. I have a newsletter, like I said, that you know goes into the three brains. I have a podcast that I do coaching, live coaching sessions for. I, I don't edit it. I've only probably edited it once when someone's child walked in the door for about five minutes. I had to edit that out. And I just really want to create both obviously an awareness, but also sort of the ability for people to understand you can overcome. It's, it's possible. And if I could be any type of example for that, I'm fine with it, you know, but I really want them to find that within themselves. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Something that we haven't really covered on this show very in-depthly is the seven energy centers or seven chakras. Would you be able to give us an overview of the different regions and the different things that they can be affected and are responsible for? Yeah. So, you know, they're like the simple things like the mental body, right? Like what we think, what we say, the emotional body, there's a soul body, right? Which is kind of hard because like, you know, people always talk about soulmates and there's all these different schools of thoughts on that. So I don't want to get too complicated. There's the astral body, which is like dreaming, sort of having dreams or sort of being, you know, connected. There's obviously the physical body that, you know, that's there as well. And so most people, that's why I try to really simplify it by just calling it energy systems because chakras and all that people think it's yoga and, and all that. But I really think that once you get sort of clear on all those, and this is not, this is for me studying, this is for me practicing, this is for me you know, doing the due diligence and sort of understanding this for my own self, you can activate those regions. You can actually find ways and sort of each one of them 
you know, vibrates a color. Um, and that color, you know, those things can be found on my website, people are interested. And once you sort of try to get those in alignment, things become a lot clearer because I really wish for everyone is clarity, including myself. Like literally, I think if you have clarity in the different areas of your life, things go a lot smoother, but we're human. And they say the human experience is a discordant. We're not in line with our true spiritual purpose. And so that gets sort of shake, you know, shaken up and ruffled. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really would tell or urge people that if they're interested, they really should just focus on those different sort of energy centers. And of course they overlap to the three brains. So it's, you know, there's a, you know, a correlation there as well. Yeah. Fantastic. So where can people go? You mentioned your website, but if people want to connect with you, find out more about you, where can they do that? Yeah, they can go to my website, thehumanresolve.com. Uh, on there, you'll find a link to my podcast, my newsletter. Also, if you go to the media page, you'll find all my syndicate columns that I've recently launched. Yeah, it's really the hub. I'm on all socials, The Human Resolve, at The Human Resolve. Pretty much, uh, my background's IT, so I tried to make the website as clean <laughs> and as focused as possible. So That's very handy to have that as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So to wrap it all up, I just want to ask you one final question. If someone could take away one thing from this episode, what would that be? I think if someone could take one thing from this episode, I would want them to take um, stock in the fact that that alchemy, that the sort of the ability to create and recreate is within our grasp. Like it's not something that's outside of our grasp. And I know this goes into like Joe Dispenza and all this sort of like the secret and all that, but a wise person once said to me that the, you know, part of the secret is true. Like you can kind of wish and visualize and, and, you know, try to create, but the other part of it is you have to resonate that. So if you want love in your life, are you resonating love with others in your life? Are you actually practicing what you're preaching? So I think the one thing I would say is those things are available and, and, you know, those things are in our grasp. We just have to have the consciousness and have to have the clarity in order to do it. I love that. That is a great answer. Savio, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure to hear your story and to chat with you. Thank you so much, Rachel. I really appreciate it. You can connect with Savio via all the links he mentioned or his website by visiting the show notes or the description below. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with one person who would also find value in what we talked about. And if you'd like to support the show, please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. I can't wait to have your company again next week. Until then, remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited.